0: How you doing tonight? Chris Jordan here coming at you from Austin, Texas. We are getting ready for a slew of pre-record shows, everybody. I cannot tell you. I am getting ready for 21 straight days in Las Vegas. Uh, One of my favorite cities in the country, but boy, howdy. That is a lot of Las Vegas. Uh, Our guests tonight uh, in the first segment are the amazing authors of Chasing Ghost Texas style, the Klingon Brothers. We will be talking to them about not only their career in paranormal investigations here in Texas, around the country, and further, uh, especially with their previous show that they had, but also talking about the amazing event that they are putting on Uh Texas Paracon, uh, Lone Star Paracon, rather. Lone Star Paracon is coming up at the end of the month. Uh That will be uh, coming up. Uh Here shortly, all kinds of amazing guests, all kinds of amazing speakers going on there, Uh all kinds of money going to charity. The last event these guys put together was fantastic. So we will be talking with them in the beginning of the show about paranormal investigations and the upcoming conference. And in the second part of the show, we will be joined by our good friend, Chester Moore. Uh We will be talking about specifically wildlife conservation. And the article that uh, spawned my call to him was uh about a black panther that was recently seen. Texas man's photo of black panther creates buzz. Um And it just rang into my head like I had a big cat encounter in eastern Louisiana. And it was one of the things that sent me down a rabbit hole of cryptozoology in my life that led to my discovery of things like jaguarundi and stuff like that uh so we we will be talking about that um all kinds of things with chester moore and how important wildlife conservation is in general but also how important wildlife conservation is to things like cryptozoology folks believe it or not uh that that is one of the most important things that we can do is make sure that uh, if these critters are there, that the habitat that they do inhabit is taken care of. So we'll be talking with him about that. Uh, once again, our guests in the first segment are Brad and Barry Klinga. They are the authors of Chasing Ghost Texas Style, and they are the hosts of the 2024, my first live show of 2024, uh, Lone Star Paracon. Welcome back to the show, guys. How you doing?
1: Good, man. How are you doing?
0: Thanks for having us. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's always great talking with you guys. It's always great seeing you on site. I cannot wait for this conference. It's going to be super fun. Um, let's, let's get into, before we get into the conference and things to expect there, uh, how did you first get into the world of paranormal research? I guess, uh, let's, let's start off with Barry. Um, Barry what what first got you interested in the world of the paranormal
1: well my story is kind of boring actually probably compared to Brad's but you know when we were little both of us used to check out the books at the elementary school library about ghosts and and crypto things and monsters and it just it was just an interest I had growing up and had a few experiences uh growing up. My grandmother passing away had some experiences in my house. Uh just we've had some we actually have some cryptid stories that Brad and I have experienced together as we were little kids. Um that's really my experience really and then i really did dive really into this this whole investigations and as we know this is the paranormal as we know it now until what Brad two thousand 2007, but it's from 2006. Term video, 2006, perhaps. yeah, yeah, yeah. 2006 ish, <clears throat> uh, but before that, I was in the Navy, it was down in, in Miami, Florida, stationed down there. And Brad went on a trip with my parents the summer before his senior year in high school, and uh, he caught something on video. Uh, that he showed me, it was like, you know, just wow, this stuff's pretty cool. But it wasn't until, like you said, that was in 1991. 1990. 1990, actually. 1990. So fast forward all the way to 2006. It's a large gap in there. We really, I wasn't really doing anything with the ghost, but, uh, that video is the kind of the one that got like, oh, just gotta scratch your head. One of the stuff, yeah, I mean, he wasn't doing anything with it, but I was. I mean, um, you know, that was,
2: it, it was in Gettysburg and I caught this, this group of Union soldiers just cruising across the field with an old VHS camera, middle of the day, you know, and it was, and it's not like a figment of your imagination. Literally, it's in the viewfinder. Wow. And then it's, it's not there. And, uh, you know, and it just, it was my personal proof of the paranormal. And it was funny because I, I like Barry said, we were kind of on our way down this whirlwind, you know, cross country trip, went all the way down to Miami to see him. I showed him and, and one of my good friends. Those are the only two people that ever saw it for probably 20 years until Discovery Channel came along. When we were, you know, our team, Everyday Paranormal, doing the investigations, and they, they asked the same question you did. What got you started? <clears throat> and I showed them the video. And this video has now since, you know, become viral. It's basically what, you know, it, it, it's our start. But, um, you know, I, I never showed anybody just because it was so real that no one would believe it. And it's it's like, I don't want to have to deal with people not believing it and explaining myself and I have nothing yeah. to explain. I know what it is. You know what I mean? It's, it's one of those deals, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's come that videos has come to what, what we kind of are known for, you know, where we got our start, our scientific research, you know, everything that we've done that you saw on, on the discovery channel on our show ghost lab. Um, and you know, that rolled into our, our, you know, book that we wrote and we're writing a couple of others right now. And we, you know, we, we tour, we, we go around the world, you know, speaking about this stuff and, and it's funny, you know, that one little moment on the on the battlefield in Gettysburg is, you know, here I am 50 years old, very 54. Yeah. And we're 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 still researching and talking about it. So,
0: well, and, and you know, really just proof to the case uh, that when when something like that happens to you, the the term that I have been introduced to that I love is ontological shock. You know, the, the fact that everything that you know to be true changes um and and like you said you don't uh you don't you don't believe uh what you have in that picture you know what you have in that picture you know what you saw through that viewfinder you know yeah it's uh, not a
2: matter of belief for me yeah. it's a matter of okay this stuff exists yeah. hands down And yeah, i don't care what you believe or don't believe you know i know the truth so that's good enough for me
0: well well and that's just it you know it's it's interesting that um, yeah, to, to say that you believe in something belies faith. Um, to, to say that you know me means you have experienced there's, there's a, yeah. there's a difference there. Um, and right. that experience is a life changing when, when it happens, you know, it can be, um, world shaking. And, and once again, even, even the fact of you sitting on that video for, for years, Brad, that's, that's one of the, one of the examples that I give regularly is that many times people do not come forward with their experience for years because of fear of ridicule.
1: Right. And it wasn't so much fear of ridicule.
2: It was, it was almost like, you know, um, it's not up for debate. I mean, I'll give you what happened and the facts and all that kind of stuff. But I'm not going to debate anybody on whether it's real or not because you know just the Texas meal take over and I'll just whoop your ass, (laughs) (laughs) right? That's how we'll settle it. But um, (laughs) just just to avoid all that, but it it caused me to do a lot, a lot of research into why, and that's what Barry and I have been doing all these years. It's like okay, now that we know this stuff exists, and we've had experience, you know, since then we've Mm. had some of those you know wow moments. But it's it's why does it exist? How does it exist? Is it predictable? Does it happen in certain areas and certain times? And, and yeah. are these conditions right? So it's become kind of a scientific thing where, you know, based on a lot of the research that we've done over the years, you know, we, we, we've we come to find that it, it does have, you know, patterns and habits and, um, you know, can be, uh, you know, predictable and traceable. And a lot of a lot of times. It, it, and there's not only one reason for it to happen. There's multiple reasons for it to happen. And so that, that that's kind of the things that we that we did.
0: Well, and, uh, you know, getting into that, that is that is one of the one of the concepts that I have explored regularly with guests recently is is the idea of especially um, when you're going out on investigation, uh, you know, not so much cryptid hunting, things like that. But when you're going out. Hunting the paranormal when you, when you are going out looking for those specific things, um, could it even be the fact that your preparation alone, your excited preparation, Brad, is, is actively charging that environment? You know um
2: yeah. I, I, well, it, it, it is all about energy, and we can go yeah. into that whole thing, and energy takes for you know different forms well let's the, you see. know the physical energy, the emotional energy it it, it feet you know it yeah. has to have energy to be able to manifest It's part of our you know things we theorize with but yeah you're you're absolutely right,
0: yeah, and i mean it's it's one of those that as i've as I've spoken at conferences recently i have I have caveated people to enjoy your time in the field, go out, have fun, but make sure that as you're prepping your gear, you're doing nothing more than a checklist of gear. You know, um just a a blank slate checklist. Try to keep yourself as as emotionally inert as possible. Don't try to hype up the location in your head as haunted, haunted, haunted um or expecting experience, you know, because Well, it, you
2: know, watch pot never boils, and that's that's something that we've always we you know, a lot of times it's funny because when we're filming the TV show you know, they, yeah, would they would have the cameras on us. And with, with cameras, they want you to kind of be active and moving around. Barry and I would find a comfortable spot to sit down and just watch and listen yeah. and talk about the weather and what we're going to eat that night mm-hmm. and just take our minds then, off it and that's
1: it. But that makes boring TV, so <laughs> we had to get up and walk <laughs> but, around but, and, well, and, and do and, our thing.
0: And, and most definitely, you know, I, I can imagine the uh, – Okay, before we sit down for all that, let's shoot, let's shoot an hour of B-roll of you guys going around with meters and asking questions and things like that. And then we'll record that and see what happens and use that and marry the two. Um, I, I can utterly see that. Uh, and, and yeah, that can, that can become problematic when, when you are investigator, investigator, the way you guys have been for years. Uh, I mean, that's what brought y'all to the point of ghost lab into the radar of those producers to begin with was your actual field work and going out and doing investigation. Now, uh, when, when you're, when you're out in the field, when you're looking at these things, uh, let's, let's start getting into that because once again, um, there, There is an energetic give-off of of those who are involved, and that can either help or hurt sometimes. So let, let's let start getting into that and how uh, you go about measuring such things in the field, guys.
1: Well, you know, with the Ghost Lab, we were spoiled. You know, we had
0: mm.
1: all these state-of-the-art pieces of equipment and computers, software, and gadgets, and people that were inventing things at the time were, sending us prototypes or whatnot, but you know, nowadays we just we keep it simple. You know, we, we really our first thing we do, you saw it on TV, we go in and we go what's called a scout. We just walk around and just kinda get a feeling for the place. We don't really investigate air quoting right now. We we kinda just walk around just to, to see, you know, what's up. You know, we get a, a vibe over here or or something leading me to go somewhere else. That's our first thing we do. And then of course we uh we get out our gadgets and when i say gadgets i'm not talking about ghost hunting equipment i'm calling just traditional you know scientific equipment emf meters um thermometers uh audio recorders um things like that data loggers we tend to stay away from things that are made for the ghost hunting business you know the SLS cams and the you know the, the ovuluses and things like that. Not to say they don't work, but it's just that's not our cup of tea. We want to keep it to traditional pieces of equipment and something that hasn't been um, made modifying yeah. goes. If yeah. that makes any sense, so just, it keeps our investigation think- sterile. It keeps it uh, true. Uh, it's not. It's not. It doesn't go one way or another just because this piece of equipment however it's made. I don't know how it's made. Is it, is it giving off false positives? Is it, is it a toy that's supposed to make people yeah. feel there's a ghost there? You know, things like that. We don't trust that stuff. So we, we go with, with our gut instinct and our traditional piece of equipment. Yeah. the tradition. Like you said, it measures environmental
2: factors that that's the key. It's, it's, it's standard environmental factors because that's what we want to monitor. We want to monitor the fluctuation in those things. Uh, when the experiences or the things that we can cap- happen to capture on recording video or audio or whatever happen, if we can correlate those things with with uh common environmental factors at the time, then that helps us you know in, in the predictability thing that I was talking about earlier and uh you know we've done that and and with the the advent of data logging we did it shoot we did it fifteen years ago. Uh, and I really still don't see it today. And I'm shocked because when you go into a place, you want to log that that environmental data as it happens. Every second you want to log a reading. And that way you can look at the entire picture over time. And if something happens in a millisecond, you could look at that millisecond on on the timestamps on those other things to see what else is happening. It's all about the correlation yeah. of data. and it, it's, it, And I really think that, a lot of people who are out, who are ghosting, they're out for the, the Friday night thrill. They're out for the experience of being in a, in a quote unquote haunted house or the, the chance to, you know, hear a moan or a, or a cane rattle or, you know, the, the you know, the Scooby Doo factor of, of a haunting when we're out there just monitoring, you know, locations and seeing what kind of data we could pull and correlate. So it's, um, you know, if people go with us sometimes, they can get bored.
0: Well, well, and and that's just it. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I mean, and and people have a big, big misconception with this thing, and that that is a lot of what I love doing with this show, guys, is demystifying these things. Because, yeah, I I love the shows. Do not get me wrong. Um, I love, I love. uh, I mean, good God, I just had Robert Clotworthy, the voice of Ancient Aliens, and and Oak Island do a. do an on air drop for Curious Realm, you know? Like, that's how much I love those shows. Uh, but you have to understand that a certain amount of that is produced, that it is produced television, you know? And, uh, yeah, it's one of those, I, I see people in groups who are like, oh, they're never gonna find that gold. And it's like, I'm pretty sure the gold is the science that they've found, you know? Um, despite any evidence, despite finding the Ark of the Covenant at the bottom of a hole, anything like that, there has been a ton of science found along the way. And, and that's just it. That's one of the things that I love about you guys is that you don't want to use the, the teddy bear with light up eyes and a microphone. Um, you, you don't want to use the, the, you know, the toys that wiggle around whenever they're in the presence of something because you, you don't know. What that's necessary, even, even as an audio engineer and former broadcast engineer, the idea of the spirit box ran randomly scanning through. Uh, I, I don't know. Like you could be picking up all kinds of things when scanning through sidebands. You're talking mm-hmm. ham radio signals, parts of parts of security broadcasts, mm-hmm. you know, things like that that you could be picking up random bits and pieces from now. Sure, the hypothesis is that the ghost is riding those radio waves as well. Um, but a lot of that comes right. from, a lot of that comes from the old school research done in the twenties and thirties in the, in the day of the black orchid tapes, uh, with original EVP work where, where the hypothesis was that the ghost through paranormal electromagnetic energies can manipulate the weak magnetic field of that tape head and and influence the tape um i don't know how the ghost influences ones and zeros of a digital recorder
2: well like, it's, like it's not the ones and zeros of a digital re- recorder it's it's what we found it's the it's the frequencies
0: that okay. they
2: lie in because those digital recorders actually will take lower frequencies that oh sure you can't really hear yeah and it'll it'll amplify them so that's why you know a lot of times we'll do that we'll look at where the when we hear a voice on a mm-hmm. recording that we don't know what it was we look at the fr- first thing we look at is where is the frequency if it's lying in that lower threshold that you know below threshold of hearing yeah, we're like okay that that has some validity to it and it's it, it is about that and what we we do feel is that yeah you know static white noise the the the, the ghost box that that scans the AM station it the concept is great You know, I, I really feel that, yeah, that um, it's there. However, when you know that there are known voices on an AM radio frequency from radio stations and it's just panning, your ear is eventually going to hear the sound like of a name. Like a lot of times people, their their question they like to ask is what's your name, right? Yeah. (laughs) How many times is someone name mentioned on an AM radio frequency all the time? And the chances are likely that you're going to time it just right where you ask a name and the name John comes across from, you know, KT-103 in Shreveport, Louisiana, that you don't realize.
0: And once again, uh, you may be especially, especially with AM, uh, because I used to play with that a long time ago, uh, trying to trying to catch things, uh, just going through white noise. And man, especially if you have like an older AM receiver, On stormy nights like we have right now in central Texas, I lived in Houston at the time. I used to be able to pick up AM radio from Dallas when the weather was right. Just because of the way that the radio waves bounced off the ionosphere during a storm, you know. So even though you may be on something that is utterly static most of the time, there may be something ionospherically or elsewhere that is bouncing other radio signals to that area. And and across that band that you were fully not aware of, you know, uh, I mean, I work in the corporate AV field, as you guys know, Um, one of the big, big jobs that we have as a position on very large shows uh, like the ones I'm getting ready to go work in Vegas, where we've got three floors of the Venetian with eight microphones in each room, you know, like we're going to have like a microphone count of about two hundred and fifty. That's just our microphones at the hotel property. That's not the other shows. That's that's not in-house microphones. That's not radios on security people or with with in-house, you know, operations. So we have one person called the frequency coordinator freak man. He goes and he gets freaky with it. And his job is to walk around with an actual frequency meter and find the open bands of air in which to program our microphones so that they do not get interference. Like that's somebody's job. Uh most people don't take that into consideration when just using once again an, an off-the-shelf ghost box. Um great in concept. I I am not a huge proponent of of their field use because as you're saying Brad it is it is not a quantifiable um I, I even here recently, uh, was, was at a live show and one of the vendors was selling, uh, toroidal speakers, you know, like muted speakers that are toroids that put frequency out to help fields, things like that, help you reorganize DNA strands, stuff like that. And I, it, it for me, it was the fact of what frequency ranges. Show me like you've got a little wand there that's showing me that that's dirty RF and that's clean RF. Show me the frequency ranges of the RF that you're showing me. Um, you know, because uh, if if you put one winding out of out of line over here, like it'll look noisy. Um, like that's just me as a circuit designer. So uh, it was hard for me to see somebody selling a device. Dealing with frequencies and healing, and what frequencies you need to avoid. When they could not tell me the frequency range of operation of the device that they were selling,
1: right? And that, and that, right. That's a hard like, sell for. Like, go ahead, Bear. I was going to say, you know, and this is nothing against people that make make equipment. No. people that make equipment or, are really trying to trying to like you know break the mold and develop something new a lot of the times you see the things to be developed, they're not because of uh, the ghost part. They're, they're like what the what the ghost hunter wants. What's gonna sell? You know, what, how am I gonna yeah. sell a bunch of these gadgets just because that's what the ghost hunter wants. Not necessarily I figured out how to contact ghosts. Unfortunately it goes the other way. Now i like, like I said, the biggest people that make no ghost hunting equipment and whatnot, but what I, I just the think people that, that use it from because- back when we fifteen years ago till now Things are completely different uh, than what they were back then.
0: 110 degrees different, dude. Like, I remember when I was out in the field doing things years and years ago, um, like back in 98, 99. Um, man, one of the best things you could find was was an EF, EMF meter that, that just had the lights, you know? Um, now you can actively go out and find EMF meters with... Actual instructions and and metered signals and ranges, you know not just a color light that says oh it 's red, great, am I near a microwave half a block away um, like it doesn 't help you just to see a red light. What helps you is to see the frequency of the r f radiation and nowadays um where is where is that handheld r f meter with just the lights used to be a hundred something dollars. Now you can go out and buy an actual EMF meter with, with actual meter readings and, and gauss limits and things like that on it and measuring things in milligauss um, and instructions that tell you what that milligauss reading means and what a background milligauss should be, you know, um, because a green light, a red light is great, but if you don't know what a milligauss is and what you're measuring, um, it could be anything.
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah, it's uh, and and once again, no, no, I have no, I have no fault with anybody that's selling a product. I am American, um, unless it's unless it's true snake oil, um, I got I got no problems with it in in my in my true mind. Uh, but when it comes to investigation, when it comes to trying to get that quote quote proof guys um my air quotes are up there for the listeners for me it's the fact of proof is what your lawyer has to keep you out of prison um would you trust the evidence you have to keep you out of prison you know um that that's the realm of proof that you should be looking for uh which means yeah uh like you're saying brad we we need some numbers we we need, quanti- well, need quantifiable at that point.
2: We also employed the use of. You mentioned that you were uh, you know an audio um, engineer at, at some point in time. We still are.
0: It still is. Well,
2: we, we would we would get like for example an EVP something that we could not explain. We we put it through the, the ringer. We couldn't explain it. We would send it to an audio engineer, and not even tell them it was paranormal we would just say can you analyze this piece of audio and give us your impressions that's all we would say can you tell us what it says can you can you give me you know a a, a paragraph about the 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 qualities of this this piece of audio we got something in granbury texas one time we were we were after the you know there was a legend that john wilkes booth was was uh um, there was a conspiracy that he made it out of Virginia, yep. wasn't killed, and made it all the way down to, uh, Granbury, Texas, and, and, and worked at an opera house as a, as a Shakespearean, you know, theater coach. And, <clears throat> you know, he, he, there's, this is a whole long story. We did a whole episode on it, but, uh, anyway, the, the rumor is, is that his ghost haunts this place, and we got a voice, and I can't you not, that says, yes, I'm John Wilkes Booth. Whoa! And it, what? it had it was it had these electronic quality it was it was very it was very odd. The everybody who listened to it heard the same thing. So we sent it to an audio expert, an engineer. He was a didn't tell an audio expert, forensics, forensics expert. Right, he would go to court cases and like testify on like you know drug cap, wiretaps and like all that kind of stuff. And uh, he said. Well, my first, my, my, I thought, I thought it said, yes, I'm George Bush, which, (laughs) yes, I'm John Wilkes Booth, is pretty close for not knowing what it was. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And then he's like, it has very odd qualities. Like, there's, there's human tonality to it, but it's, it's not registering where it should be. He was going off on, (laughs) we're like, what would you say if I told you? Yeah, yeah. That might not be a human voice.
0: And 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 that's beautiful that that is the way that you approached it, Brad. Uh, because so frequently, so frequently, um, whenever I see things, whether they're shared in groups, whether even even whenever they're shared in private messages with people, um, there's a front loading that happens there, um, and and it can be hard. It can be hard for you to not want to front load what you think you heard. Uh, But the idea of especially giving it to a forensic audio specialist blind, nothing at all, just, hey, man, um, we got this piece of audio. We would like you to examine it. Tell us about the qualities of the audio. Tell us about the spectral analysis. You know, is is everything within spec and norm? And yeah, he would absolutely be able to come back and say, you know, there are things in the subharmonic range here. And it, it seems like there's a, there's a really strange recording in there about George Bush. Um, so that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, that, that that is how you guys properly treat your evidence. And I, uh, as you were chatting, I got up. Let me see if I can show that on camera here. I got my RF Explorer. This is, this is one of the many tools that we use that it's hard to see the screen there, actually. Um, but yeah, this right here is one of the actual RF machines that will, Read all incoming signals uh, from, you know, two, three hundred megahertz all the way to all the way to, uh, you know, 6G. So if you're getting any kind of strange things that are really, really beyond the realm of human hearing or radio interference, this will tell you what it is and exactly what frequency it's on. Uh, With that, you could tune a radio, tune a receiver, what have you, and actively hear it. Um, but it's, it's interesting to see that, you know, there, there are people out there like you guys who, who take it this seriously to the point of, um, taking it beyond your own self. I've, I've tried to, uh, for years, explain the fact that at a certain point you have to disconnect yourself. From the re- and be willing to disconnect yourself from the research, be willing to turn your evidence over to somebody else, like you did, sight unseen, um, and story untold, uh, to see if that, if that same finding is found. You know, that, that's kind of the whole point of science is the repeatable process. Uh, and you were, you guys were saying earlier that, um, that there are some repeatable processes with some of this. Uh, you know, like like you said, a, a watch pot doesn't boil, um, but at the same token, an an overactive location hustling and bustling with eight camera dudes and everything else uh is prone to scare things off as well. You know, so what are what are some of those things that um if people are serious with their research, if they are looking to go out and properly start gathering data and and sharing data amongst amongst groups, because that that's really what it comes down to is the sharing of the data. It's great if you collect it, um, but if you just collect and hoard data, it does nothing to increase the data set that's out there in the field. So um what are some of the methods that people can use that are tried and true to gather good data and where can they take that? uh, once they have
1: it. Well, I mean, you can, uh, we start out with simple things. Like I said, you, a data recorder is probably the first thing you would buy in order to collect data. EMF, they have temperature, barometric pressure, humidity, mm. all these different measures. They have a data recorder for it, uh, an audio recorder. Um, and all these things need to be time stamped. uh, to, to show at what particular time. Brad's Brad developed software that we use that shows on a graph of all these, say, we have seven pieces of equipment out. They're all synced on the same time and they're running. So on the software we developed, or Brad developed, it'll show you what each piece of equipment is doing at that particular time. And so the you have to, you have, to have some sort of equipment that collects the data. I'm, I'm trying to... Sure. What I'm trying to say here, just, you know, like Brad said, data loggers are not used ever. You use those back 15 years ago, and yeah. people are just so into the audio recorder out, play or record. All right, stop mm-hmm. it. Let's listen to it. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I thought I heard something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. and it drives
2: me crazy no when they put their yeah. ear to an audio recorder. They just put their ear to it at, yeah. after they recorded it five minutes ago. And like, yeah. oh, did you hear that? Rewind it. It's like, you
0: didn't hear anything. Well, and not only that, you could not get a more loaded listening environment. Like, even whenever I ran sound for bands, guys, and they walked off with a CD or a DVD as they walked off stage of their performance, my last words to them always were, do not watch this when you get home tonight. When you get to the rehearsal space and drop off your gear, don't throw this into the DVD player with a beer. Give it two or three days. Come back at your performance with fresh ears. You know, come back at it with fresh eyes. Otherwise, you're going to pick yourself apart. A football coach doesn't watch the game the next day. He may still be pissed at his players, you know, and be looking at it with the total wrong eyes. So, yeah, you want to you want to give your chance, you want to give your mind a chance, you want to give your body a chance, you want to give your ears a chance to cool down from all of that. So that when you do come back and listen to it, um the you're coming at it as a blank slate as possible, you know?
1: I think the other the other problem that we've seen, I hate to be on David Nelly, but uh one of the issues we see is most, most, what we're talking about now with data and this and frequencies and all this technical stuff. Most people are not into that, as we as yeah. we found over the years, from fifteen years ago until now, of lectures and books and symposiums, all these things we've done. A lot of times, it falls on deaf ears. A very small percentage of the yeah. paranormal community is into that. And they're they're really we're finding as we go along there. <laughs> most people just want to hear and see a ghost and they're and they're good. <laughs> yeah. They uh, I hate to say they don't care about the the ones and the zeros. We are. I and mean, it's that's something that we're interested in, but to relay that to other people is yeah. sometimes very difficult because they don't give a crap about that. They want they want to know something else. But what was the story behind it? What was the creepy you know, how creeped out were you? The creep yeah. factor, I guess. Yeah. They want that instead of the scientific uh, approach. And I'll give you an
2: illustration of that. Please. We we were on a we were on a Japanese television show. A, mm. a Japan a Japanese television show came to the United States, came to Texas, sought us out, wanted us to be on their show, wanted us to take them to a haunted location. Okay, they didn't speak a lick of English. They had a translator. And there's a little girl. that she you know she she looked like a Hello Kitty. You know, dressed the the Hello Kitty type stuff. Pink furry, you know, whatever, t- you know, very popular in Japan. Anyway, we were explaining how the kind of what we're explaining, you know, ghosts do this and blah, 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 and haunted locations. And then she just looked at us in a blank stare and she rattled something off in Japanese to the translator. And the translator said, she wants to know when we're going to see the ghosts. And that's all she cared about was when are we going to see the ghosts? When are we going to see the ghosts?
0: Yeah. But
2: funny story though. Things happened that night where a thermal image came out. The whole building shook. All the all the uh, motion sensors went off in a sequence down the hallway for no reason, and they freaked out. But you know that was that was luck. The thing is, if you come into a location, all you're doing is when am I going to see the ghost? When am I going to see the ghost? You're probably never going to see it, or you're going to relate every bump and scratch that happens that night to a ghost. Exactly. And that's not good either.
0: Exactly. At that point, it's, it's audio and it's, it's audio and visual pareidolism. You know, you, you are, you're willing to see every shadow as a being at that point. Um, and your want of confirmation or even want of experience has, has, has taken over and overshadowed the logic. Um, I, I have had my experiences guys. I, as, as we said in the beginning of the show, I'm, I'm a believer because of my experiences and, and, uh, I guess I I, not really believer, but I know because of my experiences to bring it back to our earlier conversation. Um, and I, I doubt nobody's experiences until proven otherwise. Um, the plus side is that we are getting to a point like right now, uh, the Bigelow Institute has, has put out. A competition prize for the first people that can communicate with the other side, improve communication <laughs> with the other side a million dollar prize like it's out there uh, because
2: they know that'll never happen. That's the whole thing, because it something can, never be can always be disproved or it, it can be there could always be a shadow of a doubt on anything yeah. in the paranormal. Yeah, there can always be it boils down to your experience how you saw it what you know in your heart and your brain happened and that's why they offer those things because they know they'll never give away a million dollars
0: yeah yeah and, and and now granted um there there are numerous numerous things out there right now especially whenever you're talking about data logging things like that to give people an example uh, uh one one example of that is Madar um I have a Madar system here at the house. Madar is basically like a a small uh it picks up uh magnetomic anomalies uh magnetic anomalies in the magnetosphere things like that um so basically the concept of operation is by building a mass node of these things, each each little one is like a Raspberry Pi that you plug into the internet, it calls up to the server and says, hi, I'm a receiving node. I'm going to give you magne- uh, magnetospheric readings for the area. Um And it will basically report a disturbance in the magnetosphere to the home system. So whenever a meteorite, comes through. Anything like that. It records the location, the intensity of the magnetospheric anomaly, uh change in the magnetosphere, the speed of the anomaly, everything else, and reports at home. And then they can put it against, hey, was there a meteor shower going on? Where were there any shooting stars? All that kind of stuff. But that is a passive data gathering system that is built off of a Raspberry Pi system. Nothing Nothing extraordinarily complex, nothing extraordinarily, uh, you know, expensive. And when you're talking about leveraging technology like Raspberry Pis, yeah, man, you can get temperature sensors, movement sensors, infrared sensors, thermal sensors, all kinds of data that that you could hook into a Raspberry Pi and just passively off of a, you know, battery pack um, that's charged up. Gather tons of data on site.
2: Yeah, we were talking about actually some Raspberry Pi uh, technology several years ago, mm. and we formed a we formed a group. It was very temporary. We had and and, and what it was was a group of people like us who who like data. And I have a friend of mine who's a, actually he's a data scientist. He knows how to put the models together and, and all that kind of stuff. And we were going to gather data upon data upon data upon data, and like just build these models the problem is we all have regular jobs
0: yeah 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 exactly
2: (laughs) to do this i would have to be funded by some organization you know and this is my job and that's all i did yeah unfortunately you know the only time that barry and i are professional ghost hunters were the two seasons we were on on discovery channel other than that we have day jobs so that's wow. that's the other problem with well, uh, doing this properly.
0: Well, and and you know that that brings up something that I don't I don't think a lot of people are aware of, guys, and and that is a lot of people in all of these fields have day jobs. This is this is not like a, a like a multi million dollar a year job. Let's just say that, you know, no, nobody's nobody's dumping commas and zeros at people to be paranormal investigators, you know, um, even even though you have had a show and literally a seminal show in, in genre, you know, like you Ghost Lab was one of the first shows in that genre to ever hit air uh, yep, and, and begat the entire tidal wave. Of these things, but even then, it's not like you're, you know, raking in six six zeros a month off residuals. You know, um, no. there is a big misconception. We had to, we, with we, we that. Had to, we basically had to
2: beg. We we had to negotiate just to make our salaries that we were leaving to do the show. Yeah, that shows you how we're not getting rich.
0: Well, yeah, you know? yeah, 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 precisely. And and you know that that should be. I I think that is something that honestly has to be laid bare with with conversation. I appreciate guys like you who who are as honest about it as you are, you know, um, people do not realize that uh, many of their favorite cryptozoologists, you know, like work at work at the petting zoo at the local zoo that they that they work retail outlets during the during the holidays that kind of stuff like this is what they do to follow their passion like I I do not this is what you're looking at everybody here with me like this is my home studio like this this is where I sit and run my home business I I I am not making commas and zeros off curious realm and in sponsorships. You know, um, I do this because I am passionate about it and because I am passionate about these topics and about getting work like what you guys do out there in front of people, because without these conversations, we're we're going to go nowhere, you know, Um, without without conversations like what will be had. Uh, at the upcoming conference, at the upcoming Lone Star Paracon, uh, be it with the speakers or be it amongst the experiencers who are there not only experiencing the conference, but sharing their experiences with each other. You know, um, that's what this is about is, is being able to give people a safe place to come and experience not only the community of experiencers, but to know that there are safe places and safe people to share their experience with.
1: Yeah. We're actually making Thomas and zeros problems. There's nothing in front of the zeros, So <laughs> <laughs> we're, making, we're making a bunch of zeros make, right
0: now. Make, making that Gus Gorman Superman three money, <clears throat> uh, the, the, the fractions of pennies. That's, that's it. Yep. Um, but, um, before we let you go, we've got about three or four minutes uh, or about five or six minutes left with you guys. Um, let's get into the conference real quick because uh, you you guys uh, are hugely charity motivated. That is that is one of the reasons why I support your shows, why I come out and help AV sponsor things like that is because um, I love what you guys are doing with not only getting, getting these topics out in front of more community, but... Also using that to help other communities and to, to help out different charities. So uh, let's talk about Lone Star Paracon real quick and some of the fun activities that are going to be there and uh, a little bit about the charity that all of this is going to go, help go benefit.
1: Yeah, so Lone Star Paracon—it's been a—it's kind of been a, a thing of Brad. I've been thinking about for over several years, and we we did one before, not Lone Star Paracon, but a bigger event years and years ago. It was pretty successful, but Brad and I are always going to events in the Northeast, the Midwest, and all over the country. But nothing ever in Texas. Nothing. We do little events here, little events there, but big paracons—they're just not existent. So. We live yeah. here in Church, Texas, just north of San Antonio. We have a really nice convention center. And we're like, hey, man, let's, let's try to do something here. Let's just put all of our eggs in one basket and see what, see what comes out in the end. And, and if you know us personally, friends of ours, even people that make our events, we don't, we don't do this to make money. We literally do it because we enjoy putting on events. We enjoy being around our, our, our fans and our friends and our family and any money we make either goes to a charity or it goes right back into another event. And so that's kind of where we're at, uh, the reason why we put it on. Um, Losar Paracon is, is man, we've been doing this, when did we announced this, Brad, about a year ago? About a year ago, almost. Almost a year ago, yeah. this thing has exploded. I mean, it's really gone from just an idea to... We've already sold out. The the VIP sold out in like a month. Awesome. The investigation with awesome. Shane Little and Aaron Sager sold out in like a month. The vendor the vendor spots just sold out last week. Great. Uh, we have other tickets that are starting to get close to selling out. Speaker tickets, gallery reading tickets, uh, Solstice Sister Sunday tickets, and as we get closer, we we knew Christmas was kind of like a slow time. But I'll tell you what, since yesterday, January one. It's starting starting to go. We're also starting a huge advertising campaign to get the local people to the event because here's the kicker, guys. It's free. Yeah. It is completely free to come to the vendor portion of the event, meet the vendors, meet the celebrities, get your autographs, get your pictures. That's all completely free. The only thing you have to buy if you want to listen to the speakers is a measly $40 ticket. That gets you all day. I think there's 8 eight eight speaker slots all day long for 40 bucks that's it wow um so we good
0: Oh no i'm just saying wow that's that's incredible number one the fact that it's free for all come to the event come come check it out come swap stories with people only thing that costs money is walking into the speaker room um that's, that's incredible it. because that's it, you man. you still get to you still get to meet speakers and things like that at their tables yeah. and buy books from them, share stories with them, get things signed, all that kind of stuff. So it's it's fantastic. And that's what we're
2: out right now we're out we're out just to get people there. I mean, we yeah. I hate to say we couldn't care less if you you got a speaker pass or not, but we we want you to at least go there. Bring your family. You know, you can you know you have a family of six. Guess what? It's all free. Everyone walk in. Meet these people, have a good time, maybe see something, you know, experience things that you haven't before. Talk to people who you only read about or see on TV. Um, it's it's just it's it's fun. I hate to say fun for the whole family is so cliche, but it is. But
0: yeah, with that
2: and all the, the 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 peripheral events and everything going on around it, there's a couple of things that you know other people are going to benefit, and that's that's a little closer
1: to Barry. I'll let him explain that a little bit more. Please do, so okay, you know, special. Special Olympics is close to my heart because that's what I do for a living. I I am a special education teacher. Been doing it for 15 years. I here with the local school district. Actually, school district, Brad and I went to school at. Um, And so what I do is I teach special education, physical education. So I I work with kids in their PE classes that have motor difficulties, down syndrome people, autism kids, uh, uh, traumatic brain injury kids, just the whole gamut. I work with those kids. I also run the Special Olympics Program which we do sports. We do swimming, bowling, basketball, bocce, track. There's other sports that we're actually trying to implement, and so we have ages from eight years old up to twenty-two year olds in our district that participate in Special Olympics. Well, the bad thing about our Special Olympics programs we have to raise our own money. We're not a yep. We're not driven by a, a like an account or a budget through the district. We have to raise money through fundraising. And so Brad and I got together and so said, really cool, let's do every, every bit of profit. Now, there's bills to pay. We got flights and hotels and rentals, and everything yeah. is not for free on this event. But we're trying to make it to where it's very affordable. We got sponsors that's helped out financially. We got really good deals from the city. A lot of, well, not a lot of, all of the, all the uh, guests have, have waived their appearances I'm gonna announce that now. I probably screwed everybody up on their next deal, but wow, they all did that because they because they all did that because it's a good cause, and I'm and not yeah. saying they do that every time, but it is a charity event. But with all that money savings, hoping that at the end we're gonna have this a big big profit. All the profit's gonna to go to our local Special Olympics team through the district, which helps buy uniforms, buy new his, buy his new equipment. Uh, the seniors in high school or the, uh, the juniors and seniors in high school actually get letter jackets. They can letter the special Olympics. Yes, they can. Our, our funds go, they buy those free for the kids uh, through our fundraising. Um, all of that, which was cool. Also, our, our, some of our athletes will actually be there uh, helping with the event, helping out with, you know, volunteers and helping out, you know, just the, all the admin stuff of the, the event. On top of that, we have a second, uh, second uh, special education program called eighteen plus, which is a: when you turn eighteen in our district, you can stay till you're twenty two. so from eighteen to twenty two it's a vocational program. They teach you how to get a job. Awesome. They teach you how to how to live alone, how to wash your clothes, all the kind of living life how to skills. be an adult pretty much.
0: Yeah, life skills.
1: And life. a lot right, life skills. And so those kids, they've actually started a t shirt making business. Uh, to they actually bought heat presses and everything. Cool. They're making our event shirts. Awesome. All the event shirts. Yeah, and they've got a booth there. They're making them. They're selling them. Every bit of that money is going straight back to them. That is their fundraiser. They're making 200 shirts. I'm telling you, they're going to be gone in about two hours.
0: That's great.
1: So you need to get there at 9- 9 a.m. is when this thing kicks off for the public. You better get there at 9 a.m. because those shirts are going to be gone. Plus, our first speaker goes off at 9 a.m., uh, and it goes all the way till six o'clock that evening. So there's a wow. lot going on. We have a snack bar there. We have food. There's no reason to leave. You show up, you see everything you want to see, you you buy the things you want to buy, you have a little snack, you don't have to leave. You stay there all day long and enjoy enjoy the paracon. So that's January twenty seventh. That's a Saturday. There's nothing going on in this area on that Saturday. We yeah. check we do yeah.
0: <laughs> and, and, and you guys do a great job of that honestly. Um I I I try to sponsor most of the paranormal events that happen in the state of Texas and yeah, not a, not everybody really, you know, like does a quick Google search at the beginning of the year to be like, "Hey, what else is going on?" Um because yeah, there are quite a few that kind of cross over each other, but you guys Make a really concerted effort to make sure that people have time to be able to put this into their schedule. It doesn't cross over any major holidays. It isn't crossing over any other major conferences, things like that. So um, you put. it yeah, we a lot really
1: of, we really try to to yeah. check that because we've had events, other people have done events, and all of a sudden there's a comic con in town that yeah. weekend, or there's a or, or it's a Day, Day weekend for the next two weeks. Yeah, so yeah, three,
0: yeah. Yeah, I'd love work, to come to this really... show, but William Shatner's <laughs> up the road, you know, um, right, exactly. and, uh, at 110%. And and that happens a lot, especially when you are talking pop culture, things like that. Um, those draw huge crowds locally. So um, good on you guys for putting all of this together. Once again, uh, Lone Star Paracon, I cannot wait to come be a part of it. I cannot wait to come out, get all the amazing live coverage, live interviews, guys. Thank you so much uh, to the Klinga Brothers for not only putting together the, this amazing event, but so many others that go to benefit fantastic, fantastic uh, charities out there. Word charities. No, just left my you, head. Yeah,
2: LoneStarParacon dot com, EverydayParanormal dot com, or KlingBros.com. All three of those get you to the. You can read about it. You can buy tickets there, or just you know see who's going to be there and what's going on.
0: Absolutely. Well guys, thank you so much for the time. I appreciate it. I'm gonna let y'all go. Um and I'll be in touch soon about all the all the upcoming preparation for the show. I'm looking forward to it.
1: Sounds good, man. Appreciate uh, it.
0: All right. Take care, guys. We'll talk to y'all soon. Later. All right. Bye bye. Always great talking with the Klingon brothers, two Texas boys from right up the road in San Antonio. I cannot wait to go to that event. It's gonna be fantastic. Lone Star Paracon is coming right up at the end of January, folks. Um, that will be, uh, officially, technically our last pre-record. My air quotes were up there. My, our last pre-record, um, of things. I'll be, Coming back the week after that, um, I'll of course be live to introduce all of the coverage from Lone Star Paracon, but, uh, Lone Star Paracon coverage will be coming the last Tuesday or the first Tuesday of February. So, or no, last Tuesday of January. <laughs> so, there you have it. I can't even keep my pre-recorded schedule straight. It's big and long. So, um, with that, everybody, speaking of pre-record, we do have our pre-record guest. Uh, the amazing Chester Moore is coming up, uh, after our commercial break. We will be talking about wildlife preservation. We'll be talking about what it takes to take care of wildlife, what it takes to make sure that our wild spaces are there and available even for the cryptids. That may exist in them, much like the Jaguarundi here in Texas, or uh, even like possibly the large black cats that have been seen in Texas lately. We'll be getting into that with Chester Moore right after this. Well, hello, everybody, and thank you so much for staying tuned through that commercial break. Thank you so much to our sponsors. True Him Science. True Him Science is my source for CBD. Uh, I have found them. Many years ago, Christopher Lynch uh, here in Austin creates all of the products for True Hemp Science, and they are some of the best darn CBD products I have found nationwide. I use them every day. Stop on by and check them out. TrueHempScience.com. Curious 7 is the code that you want to use to get 7% off your entire cart of $50 or more, as well as two, count them, two free CBD edibles on your way out the door. Our guest in this segment is the amazing Chester Moore. Chester Moore is uh geez, man, what isn't Chester Moore? He is an award-winning editor, he is an award-winning journalist, he is an award-winning podcast host. Uh he has Higher Calling Wildlife, uh, where he actively works with underprivileged kids, also works in the world of conservation. Uh he just won an award. Uh, as the Bighorn Educator of the Year from the Bighorn uh, Sheep Society of America. So yeah, welcome back to the show, Chester Moore. How you doing, bud? Man, it's
3: great to be here. Always like chatting with you, Chris. Always interesting conversation. And um, thanks for the epic intro. I owe you 20 bucks for that. I think.
0: <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Uh, well, I appreciate you staying around through all of the fun rigmarole that we've had uh getting getting this episode going i literally just got a uh, got a new computer folks and things are uh to say the least a little bit a little bit crazy here and there on a couple of the things but i appreciate your patience chester and it, you know what what sprung my actual uh we chat regularly on social media but what sprung mm. my actual interest today was uh, the fact that you just put an article out about uh, white? Uh, what was it? White lions here in white, America. White mountain lions. White, white mountain lions. Let's let's yeah. get into that a little bit and uh, your your work in conservation. How to, yeah. how you came into that and how you came across this white lion story, Chester.
3: Well, I'm always kind of have, I'm always have feelers out for anything unusual in nature. Um, It's always been an interest of mine and my greater cause of nature is to draw people into wanting to conserve habitat, you know, because if we don't have habitat, we're not going to have wildlife. And I found that the enigmas of nature are what really get people hooked and, and it gets me hooked. So in 2016, There was a video, you know, a cell phone type video captured um, of an alleged white cougar. Now, let's stop at that word, cougar, for a second. That has a couple of connotations, okay? Uh, I'm talking about the felid. Uh, And also, that cat has more regional names than any cat in the world. It's Felis Concollar. I call him a cougar. Uh, Mount Lion, Puma, Catamount, Painter in the Ozarks. Panther in Florida, but I'm going to refer to this as a cougar. And there was this alleged video. Um, we know it was a real video, but of a cat that was pretty large, white jumping across the creek. And a guy said it was a mountain lion and it was built like it in the video. Well, you know, I've studied the black Panther phenomenon um, for a long, long time. As a matter of fact, I'll be starting an eight episode series on my YouTube channel on January 1st on that topic. And I thought before I would do that, I would dip a little deeper into the white panther phenomenon. Um, and a couple of years back, there was a photo captured. So people don't realize the cougar lives from way up in Canada all the way down to like Argentina, Yeah. deep parts of South America. They're a very widely distributed cat. And in Brazil, there was a verified white one captured on a game camera. It was not an albino. Uh, It was leucistic, which basically means it was white without the eyes being, um, without the eyes being, you know, pink. It wasn't Mm, the head pigment. It wasn't albino. It wasn't albino. It was white. And there was a verified baby white one born in a zoo in Brazil. I mean, excuse me, not Brazil, in Greece. So we have this phenomenon. And then I started digging around, there was a white one that was seen and reported a bunch around Red Rocks, uh, the national uh, designated protected land out there close to Las Vegas. Hmm. So, the Black Panther thing's interesting because most people in America, when they hear Black Panther, they're assuming we're talking about Black Cougar slash Mountain Lion. Yeah, but in the history of hunting, zoos, taxidermists, captive populations, there has never been. A verified melanistic or black Cougar. mountain lion. Yeah. Never, not once. But yep. we have we have two for sure, without a doubt, on the white side of things. So I just thought that was really interesting about that. And I thought putting that out there might solicit some more people that have mm. photos and videos and things like that. And just as the, the nature lover in me, I cannot imagine the feeling of being out in the wilderness. It's cool enough to encounter a mountain lion. But could you imagine encountering a ghostly, beautiful white one? I mean, that would be like the ultimate, yeah. ultimate, ultimate sighting. So I was pretty excited about putting that blog. I've already got some good response on that. And, uh, yeah, there's the report. And it's pretty interesting, man. Like the video clip shows this cat jumping. And this isn't someone's house cat. I mean, it's. I think they had a legitimate. There it that's is. a big yeah, watch the jump! Wow, that, that is tail. big. That
0: That's is a mountain. Line. And, and, That's and,
3: absolutely in my mind a mountain. Line. Oh,
0: absolutely, and you can you can tell just by the the size of the tail in relation to the body. Yep, and and, and it, that it, distinctive it, swoop. Yeah, and if, if you
3: notice, you can see. I mean, it's not a real clear video, but if you, you'll notice when it walked, you kind of see the muscles move on those shoulders. And look at that! Oh, jump. look at
0: that pounce!
3: Yeah that's not you know a little little curly uh, house cat or whatever uh-uh. so uh, that was in texas and wow. so there's these cool enigmas out there and now, uh, now
0: granted s- texas also a a huge community of wildcat collectors a huge community yeah. of large cat yeah. collectors right outside right out here in the hill country was the guy yeah. that got shut down all of a decade ago, I think, that was doing, like, large cat hunts and stuff like that, if you remember. He he was well, doing the, all kinds of, like, exotic well, there was, game hunts, things like that, and ended up he was like, hey, you know, they had things like jaguars and stuff like that that you could go out and hunt. Uh, you
3: know, I've never heard the verified part of people. The only verified one I know was a, w- a while back, and it was one guy with a leopard, but what happens mm-hmm. is the exotic animal trade is tied in, like, the exotic hunting side of it. Some of these ranchers have big cats, too. And uh, yeah. and some of them maybe have done things like cross state lines with animals they shouldn't have or things like that. But even if that, there ain't no white ones in captivity in Texas, uh-uh. you know? And yeah. that wasn't an That's what always happens. Here's, here's my favorite thing, Chris. A circus train crashed. Okay, it's always, a, the, the like Michael Mays told me Where, the other day, he said the least safe place to be yeah. in the world is a circus train, okay?
0: What, what? You haven't heard is about the like circus the, trains? Is it like the 1910s? We have <laughs> roustabouts coming into town and like parades going down going down Main Street with elephants, well, is that it? I
3: had a guy tell, I mean, I've heard the circus train thing <laughs> at least a few dozen times. No
0: way. Oh
3: yeah, and Michael who wrote the book about, you know, Black Panthers recently, a friend of mine, he told me the same thing. Here's the, the circus train thing. And like so what happens is here's how it starts. A circus train crashes and black leopards escape, right? Or in this case, a white mountain lion escapes. Okay? And that's what causes these animals. I'm like, so all around America, these sightings, apparently there's enough circus train crashes to where there are male and female, melanistic leopards that can somehow there's, link together hundreds
0: of miles apart and
3: hook up yeah, and survive yeah. in the wild.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow, I didn't know there were that many circus trains still around. I have seen one. I can imagine I, there's a car. I have lived across from a train track
3: for 15 years, and I saw a Ringling Brothers train go by me. It didn't crash, though. It no, did not
0: no. crash. I can verify that. Which is pretty and amazing in Estes, here in America.
3: And in Nederland, um, uh, Colorado, which is about 40 miles from my favorite place in the planet, Estes Park, there's actually an old circus train uh, car that you can look at. I got a video of me sitting in front of it because I wanted to prove they existed, but it didn't say anything about it crashing so there are a lot of uh
0: hypotheses
3: th- yeah and you know there are a fair amount of exotic cats in texas but the numbers are overblown now it's hard to, it's yeah. hard to get that stuff anymore uh but that cat on that video in my mind is absolutely a, a, a mountain lion
0: that is that is a large large yeah. animal that is a, yeah, that and, is a big animal i mean you could you can see for reference in the background like yeah. uh fence posts and things like that that you know give a give a good frame of even even the even the post right there uh gives you a gives you a great idea of the size of this animal knowing the knowing the average width of a of a telephone pole
3: well I you thought it was cool. you had a law enforcement officer there saying he thought that's what it was too. Usually, what happens is they'll send some official right there well when I start seeing a wildlife expert on TV on these news reports, yeah, I kind of get I kind of get nervous and uh and they'll be like, no, this was uh actually someone's great Pyrenees that had recently been shaved and yeah. uh, you know, and I'm like, okay, whatever. But that was fascinating and so that cat, as far as I know and I've asked her on a look has never popped yeah, that up a again. that is
0: a cat that is a prowling animal right there like you can you can see it in prowl mode like crouch down
3: yeah and stalking. I've been around I a long time ago the state of Texas had a mountain lion report hotline because the map the official distribution in Texas the map they used to have of mountain lions cougars had a line at I-35 and apparently mm. they would not cross I-35, okay, because it was west of I-35, yes, range, east of I-35, none. So I'm going through the mind of a cougar, and I'm going, you know, if you go east of there, there's more water, equal, more, there's more forest, there's equal amount of game, but we're going to hang over here because the map shows us west. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And um, so uh, when, you look at a, when you look at a video like that, And you look at this incredible animal. First off, it's a cougar in the eastern third of Texas. It's not supposed to be there. Austin is in range. Yeah, technically. Depends on what side of I-35 you're on. I guess. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yeah, man. So, you know, the funny thing is I have a game cam photo, never distributed online, sent to me. Mm from Newton County, which is, I live in Orange County. I saw one in Orange County, but I was, years ago, they had a Mount lion report hotline. And I called to give an old report to them. And I said, and they asked me what county. I said, Orange. And the guy on the phone laughed. And I said, let me tell you something, pal. I don't know what you exactly do other than push pencils over there at the office. I was mad. And I said, I'll but bet. i I guarantee you, I know way more about mountain lions than you. And I said, "Have you ever had one sitting in your lap? You ever walked one on a leash? Have you ever photographed them for you know dozens mm. and dozens?" He goes, "No." I said, "I have done all of the above, and I promise you, I'm more qualified to tell if I saw a freaking mountain lion than you." And uh, the guy said, like, oh, oh. "But what happens sometimes? These officials get jaded, but and some of them are really nice, but you got some of them that just like." I have a problem with when you report something to officials, when they mock people. Yeah. Like, not everyone's a wildlife expert. Yeah, Sure, it could be a case of mistaken identity, but don't mock people. And that's kind of what got on my nerves. I would love to have walked in the office with a mountain lion on a leash. That would have been epic.
0: <laughs> well, you've got one right there behind you. In I do this, this guy. This
3: guy's really cool. Dang, back No working
0: videos. Um. Yeah,
3: <laughs> this yeah, this guy back here. Um, when I was a kid, I shot my first doe in Lano when I was twelve, and I saved up to get her mounted because to me that was like going on an African safari. Yeah. You know, I was so. And yeah. I took her to this taxidermist, Earl Perkins, here in Orange, and he had that cat mounted. And a guy who lived in Orange shot it in Montana. It attacked his dog, and he shot it. Oh, wow. And he, and, and I going like five years later, I brought like another deer in and it was still there. The guy never picked it up. Mm. And so like fast forward 25 years later, I call him and I say, you still got that cat. I said, can we work out some kind of arrangement? Because the kids we work with would love to see, have like that. To yeah. See. yeah. There's a very large botanical gardens that has a millions of dollar budget here. Cause I'm thinking about donating it to them. I so said, they could buy a fleet of real mountain lions. Yeah. So like. Two months later, he was closing shop, and he, and he called and said, "You want the cat?" So I, I've wanted that Epic. mount my entire life, and I've Epic. had it for the last five years. And, <laughs> and, and, and the kids once come in—an
0: amazing opportunity to teach the children that you work with. Yeah, um, a kid came in. He, the first
3: thing the kids—they when they, so when we do our wild wishes program at our facility, they'll come here in the office and they'll sit down, and we'll introduce ourselves to them. And they're usually the first thing they do is taking selfies with that guy over there. Yeah. You know, and uh, it's a great opportunity. And I actually. You know, we work with hurting children, children that've been through trauma. But every once in a while, I'll I'll be a sucker and let a scout group come through here. And uh, I had some Girl Scouts when we were in another location, and I walked in. The mom gave that like, you know, that look like, oh my god, you know, you know, those people always sound like Thurston Howell from Gilligan's Island, you know, that snooty voice, uh, right? You know those guys.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh. oh my god,
3: a mountain lion's dead! And they walk over, and I'm doing the presentation, and out loud in front of everybody, she goes. I can't believe he killed an endangered species. He's a hypocrite, blah, 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 blah. So I normally with kids, there wouldn't have said anything, but she caught me on the right day. And I said, "Kids, would you mind? If, just excuse me one second. So what did you say? She goes, you killed a mountain lion and mountain lions are an endangered species. I said, they are not an endangered species because I guarantee it. Oh. I said, Oh, I said, lady, look, I normally wouldn't say this, but you caught me on the right day. And, uh, <laughs> If you're going to pick anyone in the state of Texas to debate this issue with, I'm the wrong dude. I said, "Prove me they're in danger," because well, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> so I said, "I want you to go to the International <laughs> Union for the Conservation of Nature. They're the, f- the global entity that recognizes what's endangered, threatened, etc."
0: Yeah,
3: it's IUCN.org, and I've never looked up the Mount Lion status because I don't have to. But you go ahead there and you type in the search engine. You know, she did. she goes, it says species of least concern." I said, yeah, because there's a bunch of them. Yeah. anyway, it's it's but it's education time. and uh, people love these big cats, man, like the the idea of like this stuff roaming around, but man, we're, we're looking at um, yeah, cop twenty eight, yeah, you're looking at a world where we're losing habitat rapidly,
0: and that's absolutely, something absolutely, that, man.
3: And that's something that, that's spooking me a lot, and um, I'm really concerned about what's going on with habitat loss out there. Because I travel a lot, and I'll be—it won't even be like I'll be there next year. Like if I was in Georgia, yeah. and I came back the next month, and the area I was fly fishing, the whole re, whole 500 acres behind it is gone now. It's just—it's going to be a new plant yeah. um, by my house where I had. Literally the piece of property where I had my cougar sighting when I was mm. 14 years old. A life-changing encounter with a cougar. I don't know if I'd be sitting here talking about wildlife professionally. If I had not that had that sighting, it just wow. it did something to me, man. It was like yep. all the stuff I'd seen on TV and read in books was right in front of me at 10 yards, you know. And eighteen hundred acres of it were mowed down and made they're making a new refinery right by my house. It's yeah. it's all every single bit of it is gone. And um, so, you know, it's it's always a great time when you can use something like a white panther or a mountain lion or whatever to talk about that habitat conservation
0: well, issue. to to shoot a flare up in the air, you know, and yeah, that's just yeah. it. like these things are beyond the point of red flag. They it is it is like time to be shooting flares in the air about yeah. conservation of wildlife, conservation of wild lands here in America. Because I mean, once again, the idea that The white panther uh, has been talked about and is now proven um, is is pretty incredible. And once again, there are reports of, you know, black uh, black panthers, all kinds of things. And um, yeah, it wouldn't be beyond the realm of reason that a jaguar from Mexico, uh, because really, that's all a black panther is, folks. Just so you know, yeah, yeah, the the ranges on a panther are from the melanistic. Same thing as me, like. I'm technically a human panther with all of my freckles. Um that that's just my melanin in my skin. Well, if I hyper-melanized, all those freckles would grow together. Uh yep. same same yeah, thing it, with it, it a black cat. That's a great cat. way
3: to explain great way to explain that, Chris. Um I think people can get that. And like so if you see a black cat in the zoo or maybe on a television show, it's either a black leopard or a yep. black jaguar. And jaguars are what are native to the United States and um, there have actually been standard-colored jaguars uh, proven mm. multiple times in New Mexico and Arizona. Uh, I was there in the uh, Chiroqua National Monument, which is an incredible place in, in a remote southwestern Arizona, and I was there two weeks after a jaguar was captured on the game camp. Wow. So right there. So they are proven. We hadn't seen black ones there, but the jaguar is native. As a matter of fact, Sam Houston – If you're a Texan, you should know who that is. I don't know if they teach history anymore, but Sam Houston, um, when John James Audubon and Richard Bachman were going around doing their quadrupeds of North America research, they interviewed Sam Houston, and he said, quote, there are many Jaguars east of the San Jacinto. Mm. San Jacinto is at Houston. You cross the San Jacinto going into Houston from East Texas. So I'm east of the San Jacinto. And there was a 19, I believe it was 1902, there was a jaguar killed and brought to the Jasper County Courthouse. No. So there is a history of this stuff here. And we just got to kind of fix. So that's what I'm doing on my YouTube. It's Chester Moore Wildlife Journalist and Investigator YouTube. And beginning January 1st, I'm doing an eight-part series on the Black Panther phenomenon. Hell yeah. So. Hell yes. And I'm doing every aspect that you've never heard of even is going to be on there. I'm pretty dang excited about that, Chris.
0: I am excited for you, dude, because this kind of stuff is is huge to get out there. Like and it's interesting that a, a big cat sighting when you were young was something that stuck mm-hmm. with you and brought you to this. Man, like one of one of the reasons I am so into cryptozoology. I was telling mm-hmm. you this before we started recording. I hope yep. my cousin Ricky is tuned in and my brother Randy are tuned in because we're about to get into it, guys. <laughs> I'm here to tell you, you can still call me crazy all you want. I saw a mountain lion yep. in in western Louisiana. They're uh, there over over in the bayous. We were out at the kinder camp with the with the Kushata and up around the campfire and I saw this thing walk down the dirt road and off into the woods. Yep. And saw tracks the next day. Wow. But they they told me, you know, oh you're you're just drunk and high as usual, Chris. Um which may have been the case, but I know what I saw and I know what was there the next day. And yes, yes, as a matter of fact there are sightings of that and that that is what sent me down the path of the jaguarundi. Yeah, uh, and and you know specifically the the small North American jaguar that is native to Texas and northern yeah. Mexico. Uh, it's
3: incredible, man. And you know that you mentioned the jaguarundi, and and um, what sent me down that path were two things. Um, John Zidel, who was the editor in chief of Texas Fish Game before him, mm-hmm. he's passed away now asked me if I ever considered Jagger Rundy as a potential black Panther candidate one time, just in a conversation I said, I, mm-hmm. you know I said you know i've kind of I've looked at those things before, and I know people would say that well, about a year later, I saw one um i used to f I used to photograph one at the Texas Zoo in Victoria uh when I would go there oh wow and they and used to have one it's gone now, and on Pleasure Island in Jefferson County, Texas. In around 02, I believe, I saw a Jaguarundi cross the road in broad daylight in front of me, and I didn't say Black Panther. I didn't say Feral House. I, oh wow. I said, oh, my, I'm looking at a Jaguarundi, and I slammed on the brakes. And I wrote a story that was at the Anomalist. Patrick He, it's at the Anomalist. It may still be there at Anomalist.com. It's called a RUS Black Panthers Jaguarundis. And there was a Texas Parks and Wildlife biologist at the time who was their endangered species specialist, believe it or not, at the time. Oh. And he worked in a management area literally five miles from where I was at. And he said, oh, yeah, he on on record, he said there are jaguarundis here. We used to call them the little gray cats. And I saw – and the reason, the reason I didn't say black panther or something is because I knew what a jaguarundi was. Yeah. However, if someone sees this cat at a distance and it's dark gray to black looking in the evening or morning, they're probably going to say it's a black panther. Most people don't know what a Jaguar Rundi is. Now they're not supposed to be here. The range of the Jaguar is supposed to go into like the lower Rio Grande Valley of Texas. And there hasn't been a confirmed sighting in years, but um, there were so many Jaguar Rundi reports in Brazoria County by Galveston, I think it was in 1968, Texas Parks and Wildlife did a survey there searching for them because the report. Same thing in Houston. Yeah. Same thing along
0: Buffalo Bayou in Houston.
3: Very controversial. The state will say we don't have them. The feds will say we don't have them, but they are absolutely – I don't think they're common. No. But I think there are pockets where there are a few of these – unusual cats around my good friend Jim Broadus operates bear Creek feline center in Panama city, Florida. Mm. And he has maybe the only uh, captive population of Jaguar runnings outside of AZA zoos. And wow. um, I've actually, he opens his door and let one come in the room while I was there. And uh, from the outside enclosure and uh, pretty intense little guys. And, uh, but they are really cool animals. They're fascinating. And uh they're probably part I believe they're definitely part of the Black Panther phenomenon because it's not one answer. There's a lot of things people are seeing yeah. out there. And we go back to habitat issues. Um, you know, the ocelot was very common at one point in yep. South Texas. The Jaguar Rundy was. Same Fossil thing with ar- the ringtail. Yeah, and, and ringtails now are pretty much up in the hill country, you know? Yeah. And um but the the conversion to agriculture down there and a lot of that stuff and population growth killed off a lot of that habitat. Now I'm glad there's uh, I'm not going to say thriving, but a producing jaguar pop. Not I meant jaguar. Sorry, ocelot population yeah. at Laguna Atascosa Wildlife Refuge near, near South Padre, and there's actually a, a program where they're going to consider bringing in ocelot from Mexico to replenish that area with ocelots. So There are some great things being done for conservation, too. But if you look at the habitat side of stuff, man, you know, we got to get we got to get something going because we're losing it at an unbelievable pace. I mean, um, if you just look at the Texas water plant alone, yeah, water will become at some point will become the new gold Um, and with growing populations in Texas. And there are like maybe 10 reservoirs on tap that have had various, um, you know, levels of, uh, you know, funding and different things like that. Yeah. And when that happens, if all 10 of those went, we're looking at maybe three-quarters of a million acres gone of river bottoms. Yeah. And yeah. you know, yeah. I was on Toledo Bend fishing. and I love fishing Toledo Bend, but I hate that 165,000 acres of uh, river bottoms are bye-bye forever. Yeah. So, you know, people don't look at that side of it. They look more at like there's a parking lot, but there's also the side of like reservoir construction and and things like that look, and uh
0: most people do not realize in the state of Texas that there's only one natural lake. Caddo. Every every other lake is made by damming of rivers and streams. Every yep. other lake. And even that right now is under huge duress huge duress i mean uh, right now canyon lake right here just outside of austin and san antonio is down so far that the cave system inside of canyon lake is exposed as well as the former town that was wow. <laughs> that wow. when they built the lake and dammed the river that is flooded crazy, the man. old town like the old town is visible from, from the wild. top of the water that's that's because how low drought. the water level is
3: well, what's happening is they're going to go to my part of the world, East Texas.
0: Mm, yeah,
3: and they're going to—that's where we have the water. So this goes back a long, long way, and um, there was a, uh, there's a, the. I'm trying to think how to word this. I guess it is the the politicking to get inter basin water transfer yeah. to where they take water from the Sabine River. And they transfer it to central Texas, north Texas, and through a large pipeline system. And I remember uh, a man who has um, now passed away, a really nice guy, but he worked for a river authority here. And he brought me and these fishing guides in on a meeting probably 18 years ago to talk about interbasin water transfer. Yeah. And he said, Chester, you'll like this because we're going to make money from this and we can start conservation projects. And I'm like, okay. I said, give me the idea of the conservation project. He said, well, we're losing north of Interstate 10, which is where the saltwater line ends in Orange County at I-10. We're losing a lot of Cypress because we have so much saltwater intrusion. So we're losing a lot of Cypress. And the river system replenishes like 40 times a year. And we don't need all that fresh water. We're losing that so we can pay for water barriers and stuff. Okay, so I I filed that little thought in my brain and they brought me and these guys before the board for a meeting like a month later. And um, they asked if we had questions. The other two guys were kind of like clueless. You know, they just Mm. were there. They wanted good, healthy marshes, but they didn't really, you know. Yeah. And I go and I go, uh, I have a question. You said if you do this, it will generate income, and a portion of this will go to conservation. Yeah, we're proud of this, blah, blah, blah. And the first thing you would do was make saltwater barrier north of I-10 because of saltwater intrusion. I said, yes. And you're saying that the system replenishes itself 41 times, so there's too much fresh water. Yes. I said, so I'm not a genius. I'm certainly not a hydrologist. But if it's replenishing itself 41 times and saltwater is still intruding north of I-10, what would happen if we reduced that to 20 times? I said, you show you're proving the point that we don't need water yeah. transfer, you know. Yeah. And so those are the kind of issues that come out of this. It's real contentious stuff. Mm-hmm. And so the drought, we're having a drought too. We're in drought. Toledo Bend's like seven oh, feet absolutely. low. Like that. But, you know, those areas don't get water. So these are all important things. So I'm hoping the people that are into wildlife and cryptozoology can just – Look and see. It. Maybe you can get involved in something like the Nature Conservancy. All they do is land conservancy. That's it. Yeah. They're not political. Just land. Or if you're a waterfowl or waterfowl hunter, you like wetlands, Ducks Unlimited, yeah. a lot of great organizations to be part of um, because we're losing habitat and just there's going to be a point where we don't have a place for a white panther to roam anymore.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Precisely. Precisely. Yeah. and And at the same token – we're getting to a point, and the, the other article that I have up is, is from Texas oh, yeah. Parks and Wildlife about the black bears right now. Like, yeah, man. People in walking trails in San Antonio have been warned, be careful, yep. because, because whereas these animals used to range further and further out, that area is now being developed, and they're coming in where there's trash and easy food to be found.
3: Well, the the bear, the bear thing is like it's a challenging problem, but it's on a good side of thing because bear numbers are increasing.
0: It's it's fantastic. Um, but, but
3: but the the urbanization a bear is the wrong animal to be around urbanization mm-hmm. because well, they'll just straight yeah, up come you, eat out of your garbage can, like yeah, you said. You think
0: a coyote's a problem?
3: Yeah, and a bear's know. thousand times stronger. Uh, they're definitely potentially more dangerous. Yeah. And so you have this rise of the black bear. You can read a bunch of blogs I've written on the black bear thing at yeah. highercalling.net, by the way. And you're right, coexisting with black bears in Texas. I'm glad Parks and Wildlife saw this uh, because they're coming back. They're coming back in the Hill Country, they're coming back in the Trans Pecos and in East Texas. And um, uh, there was recently a bear sighting, I believe, in Orange County where I live. And the guy got a photo. He can't see the head. This guy lives in the swamp, he sees feral hogs every week and the picture he got, it's either a bear or it's one of these really uber fat hogs. You can't see the head, but I looked at it, and you can go down, and and it's it's definitely a bear in my opinion that he saw. I didn't post a picture because this guy got so much heat for it, but I just addressed the issue, you know, and um, yeah. here's the thing about this. People will laugh. There's no bears. Well, Louisiana is opening their first ever black bear season in 50 years because there are so many black bears in the southern half of the state now. Yeah. And it showed a map of them going, guess where, westward to us. I am the first location you're going to come across in Orange, Texas over here. Yeah. So it's all a thing driving this. And so we're having wildlife comebacks. We're losing habitat at the same time. And then we got all this – Wildlife conflict because people don't know what to do. And what happens is there's somebody, you know, they're walking Fifi the poodle. You know, the lady mm-hmm. has little Fifi. And Fifi's got a lot more bark than brain. It's about this big. And they're walking in the park and yeah. they see a bear. And the lady's like, oh, look cute, a black bear. And the dog's going, well, the bear doesn't really care about hurting the lady at this point. No, it's just seeing a snack on a leash. But it hates the bear, the dog, yeah. because dogs are a natural threat. Yeah, It attacks the bear. The lady doesn't have enough sense to let the dog go. And you can't do much about it. And you have this conflict. The same thing's happened in Colorado right now with moose and in Maine mm. with moose. Yeah. Where yeah. it's not even predators, it's ungulates. And look, I would rather probably rather contend with a mad black bear
0: than a mad moose. Hey, uh, I, I worked on a golf course when I lived in Maine. Oh, um, buddy. I bet you had some encounters. I, I, and specifically, you know, like you're typically there an hour before the golfers. So like, yeah, yeah. I'd be, I'd be out on the golf course before sunrise sometimes. Yeah. Um. And yes, uh, I was out in the snack shack one day. I mean, snack <laughs> shack, like this thing is yeah. like eight by yeah. eight inside, you yeah. know, Um. I've been in, I've been in fishing cabins bigger than that. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sitting there just reading a book, waiting for tea times to start. And all of a sudden I hear like this. <sighs> <laughs> and I look next to me and this this cow has her head in the window wow. um, of the snack shack. Just looking around. That's about cool, six, seven inches scary. away from my head. Yeah. um, And about 10 feet away from her is a calf. Just walking Dude, that's around. That's the problem. And I froze. I froze. Yeah, I was like, you, you eat whatever snacks you want. Like you want a hot dog. You feel free to take it. There like, you go. Take it. Mama. I, I, I'm just sitting here and it eventually just, you know, her calf wandered off and she turned around and wandered off. But it was like, had I moved that little eight by eight shack would have been destroyed. No it, doubt about it. It would it, have been leveled, man. Um That's and, power and you right see there. them on the road, you see them in a zoo, they're beautiful, they're majestic animals. But in uh, I, I roll about six four. I'm a big yeah. human being, man, and yeah, that thing yeah. had height on me.
3: Yeah, man. They're the real they're <laughs> the real deal. You know I, I don't live in moose country. And um yeah. I but we went to Colorado for the first time five years ago, mm. and my wife just fell Lisa fell in love with moose. And um, I did too, but she really fell in love with him. So we've been researching moose a lot and stuff. And she's actually trying to figure out – she has a kind of a conservation angle on moose she's wanting to work on. But this human conflict, I mean, even like elk, I have uh, photos of an elk in Estes Park, a big bull, attacking a suburban. I mean, I mean just thrashing it. And there's like yeah. idiot walkers like 10 yards away from me. Oh, look, it's an elk. Ha, 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 honey. It's the peak of the rut, dude. And so – it's that education part of it and people have to be educated about that because look um i'm a hunter i support legal ethical science-based hunting i like eating i like wildlife eating wildlife is good it's good and healthy for you better than this processed crap that we all eat too much of including me well but if you don't like that and you don't want the bear showing up your neighborhood killed don't freaking feed it because it will end up having to be killed because the bear will hurt someone or get in a whatever. So people need to know, don't feed the wildlife. Uh, if you do, it conditions them to be around people. And eventually right. some a person's going to get hurt and the animal is going to have to be killed. Um, and, uh, it's, it's always amazing. Like I've taken risk with wildlife for photography and stuff like that, but I actually know what my risk is at least. And, you know, I was in Yellowstone and you know yeah. there's I think there's a whole blog something called the Idiots of Yellowstone or something, and I wouldn't doubt it. You I got, was there you got more and,
0: proofs of, of Darwinian Darwinian theory.
3: There is a <laughs> survival this lady of in the Yellowstone. <laughs> and and most of these people end up being from the Midwest. Like and the reason is all they have up there is like deer and turkey. There's nothing else. So you go to, like, Yellowstone, you don't know about Buffalo, and they don't have Buffalo in the Midwest. Anymore. You don't yeah, know about yeah. Grizzlies. And so they're all, this lady from Ohio, you know, Ohio pulls up, and she's in a car, and she goes, I'm going to get a selfie with the bison. I there said, man, go. have yeah. you read one single sign that's been here? Oh. They kill more people than anyone, anything in Yellowstone. And in the Lamar Valley of Yellowstone, you have these, like, it's 26 miles, and it's one ranger cabin facility, and there's nothing else except little pullover spots. You can pull your car on gravel and there's like a little barricade. There's bisons walking by the barricade. This woman is leaning over the barricade with her phone toward about a 1800 pound bull bison. And I said, ma'am, I'm going to photograph your demise if that's okay. So I (laughs) got a picture. She didn't get hit, thank God, but I did pray for her. But um, I got a picture of her leaning over the post and I'm like, Look, there. there's never a good turnout for that. No, it's like – and feral hogs are – I did one of my favorite episodes of my Dark Outdoors podcast with Dr. Jack Mayer about the danger of feral hogs. And one of the things is it's the cuteness of the babies. The babies are usually born with stripes. They're beautiful. They're really cute. And someone who doesn't know is at a park in Austin or Houston or Beaumont, walking around, yeah. this cute little piglet comes up to them. Well – guess what happens? Mama, Mama Sal will eat your soul. And what the yeah. big growing conflict is, Chris, and I'm going to write a really in-depth piece on this. Mm. I'm waiting for some of the experts to sort of give me um, some some more info for our studies that are going on. But the number one thing in wildlife conflict, there's, the, the number one link is dogs. Oh, yeah. yeah. All these
0: animals hate dogs.
3: And – you're putting your dog a natural risk. predator. Exactly, they don't know it's a dog. They look at it as a wolf yeah. or whatever. You know yeah, what I mean?
0: mean? I mean, uh, heck, until a hundred or so few years ago, they were all wolves. Exactly. Like every one of them from Chihuahua on up was nothing exactly. but wolf. Until we bred it down to what it is at the end of the day, right?
3: Yeah. And so the dog is there, and I when I was in Yellowstone when I got that award, I went. I didn't go to Yellowstone that point. I was in Grand Teton. I went Yellowstone the first trip to Wyoming this year. And there's a trail where they had recently, there's a sign, grizzly spotted, it was like two days earlier, they had like a date and warning. And there's a, somebody, no dog, somebody walking a collie down there. Yeah. And so if you're listening, I know you love your dog. I have a bull massive in Adobe. I love my babies, but you don't need to be walking them where there's a big presence of feral hogs and certainly not a big presence of bears, particularly grizzlies or when you got a lot of cow and baby elk or moose because you're going to get hurt or the dog is going to get hurt at least. Yeah. And uh, I'm just trying to get that message across because we're such a dog-centric culture, and I love dogs. I've so never had a- you,
0: you, I mean, you. I don't know of a picture of you without a dog almost <laughs> on social media. I have my dogs everywhere. Almost, every, almost everyone is a dog in your way while you're doing something. Exactly. Um, But my dogs don't go on the
3: trail down here where the feral hogs are real thick, you know? And because my dogs would try to defend me and they would get killed probably. And uh, so I just want people listening. Am not getting on you about bringing your dogs? But if you see a lot of feral hogs sign, avoid that. They'll save you and the dog problems. And when you go to Yellowstone, leave the dog at a kennel at home. Yeah. Don't have to bring the dog to Yellowstone or Rocky Mountain National Park. It's not going to, it'll make your trip more fun because when your your dog's trying to chase everything anyway but it's a safety thing and um and you know there's a good chance that they they're, they're going to have to kill that elk mama who stomped your dog into a mud hole yeah or whatever so just some comment thank you for having a platform where we can talk freely about this stuff
0: it's it's hugely important man i was brought up hunting and nope. fishing by a Cajun nope. grandfather there you um, go. who was brought up hunting fishing trapping he was a sharecropper when he yep. was a kid things like oh, wow. that man and uh, like um to me i I wish i could get out more and do yeah it, uh but it it's more the fact of without the conservation we don't have the opportunities people do not understand that oh you know I would go out and get a fishing license you understand that by having a fishing license that means that there's a the next crop of yep. freshwater fish yeah. Available for you. To, like that's what funds the does, the putting literally. of freshwater fish into lakes, into streams, everything else is absolutely the like purchasing want, of a, a fishing license. The purchasing of a hunting it's, license. It's crucial.
3: Like I I don't break the law anyway, but I yeah. have to be there's so many laws you can break them without knowing it, right? And uh I the wildlife guy here can't get caught without his federal duck stamp right? Yeah. Well, I bought mine online and they're supposed to send it to you. It never came, but I had my, my receipt, but my receipt had, uh, you had 30 days Uh and like, I was like day 32 and I'm like, I could probably get away because I actually bought it, but I went and bought a separate federal duck stamp that morning to make sure I didn't get in trouble because I knew that that money, that was double the money I spent on helping wetlands. And, uh, and that's thing. So there was this, uh, Organization that were doing some tourism stuff, and they told me they got these maps uh, from a uh, birding organization. God bless birding organizations; they're cute, but um, I, I like them out there. And I said, you ought to put some some of the public duck hunting areas, because that'd bring a lot of people into the area. And they said, well, the, the the birders wanted us to promise that we wouldn't show the duck hunting areas. And they said, you tell those birders that I said who bought that area was duck hunters, you know, duck hunters bought those marshes and kept them from being plowed under with the federal duck stamp. So uh, it's, and that's a great point in fisheries and and also in wildlife. Like I work a lot with wild sheep and there's one organization, the wild sheep foundation that pays itself annually for about 60% of North America's wild sheep conservation, one nonprofit. Yeah, and there's all these chapters and affiliates, and then you get like the National Wild Turkey Federation. Yeah, and they really are habitat centric. They're a great habitat centric group, yeah. and um, they do a lot of amazing habitat work. And so it's all working together. Pick one you like that supports habitat and wildlife, and go for it. Yeah, and um, well, and enjoy the time out there, man. And like you know, along the cryptozoology side of stuff, man. Like um, if if certain cryptids are ever proven. We're gonna have a huge reason to conserve have
0: Just proven, you just proved the. I mean, we just proved <laughs> the 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 white lion, like the white panther, you know. Um, and that's just it, like jaguarless stuff like that, things that have been out there for years. Uh, that yep. now and and this is one of the things that I that I preach about regularly whenever I am talking cryptozoology and field work and things like that. Um. Yep get a hold of a a local conservation group, get a hold of a local university, things like that Mm -hmm. that are doing wildlife work. Yeah. Because your trail cam footage could be helping them in a huge way.
3: Yeah. You never know what you're going to see. I mean, it could be a, um, like there's this work on Galveston Island with these animals that have red wolf DNA. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, you could have, I, my trail cam photos from the mid two thousands were part of that original conversation with the group that were looking at it. And, um, uh, I've got something I'm releasing. I got an archival red wolf video. Yeah. That's from 2004 that will be released yeah. here on my YouTube channel coming up next month, I think. So you, you can contribute by showing what you have. I mean, it may be as something as you might get a bird, photo you
0: may get a bear instead of a bigfoot you know especially in east texas right now like you're talking about especially up around the hill country right now and and people need to know that but that a they need to know that b especially east texas stuff like that if that is becoming a new home range for bears guaranteed you can get some conservation done for the local for the local habitat
3: Exactly. So that's a great message, Chris. Game cam photos, all that stuff contributes. Yeah. So make sure and share your – and by the way, I am a judgment-free zone for your trail cam videos and photos. Um, Epic. I get a lot of stuff that's like been, like house cats and stuff. I don't beat people up say, hey, I think that's a feral house cat. They're all over the place. Thank you for submitting the photo. So you can find me here at highercon.net, and there's a way to contact me. You can also just email me at chester at chestermore.com, And I'd love to see what you have. Um, I'm working on a cat project now, but the bear stuff always, anything interesting, weird and wildlife, I'm into it. And I love to see your stuff and I won't beat you up about it, you know? And by the way, you're on a, a, a cool page there. Oh, that's my, one of my favorite photos ever. The Jaguar, um, great story behind that. So that's my favorite animal in the world is a Jaguar. And we have a section on our website called how to become a conservationist. And I have these cards I give when I meet kids. It has a QR code, and it goes to this video of me in the Florida Keys, giving them ways to use their social media, artwork, photography, and writing for conservation's sake. That's and right. uh, we've been putting that out all around America. I think of the 316 project, based on my favorite scripture, John 316. We gave gifts, wildlife-centric gifts to kids to inspire them to conservation in 16 states in three months. And that goes to there. And the reason I put that little jaguar photo is because that was one of my social posts. About nine years ago, me and Lisa brought two young ladies to the Lufkin Zoo. And they had just had a Jaguar baby. And they were going to put it on display for 30 minutes that day. It was like the first time they put it on display. And I went there and told them I wanted to write an article about it. And I said, can I walk past the barricade and put my camera up to the glass to get a good photo? And they said, i tell you what, why don't you wait till we're done and come back? And the vet took us behind the scenes. Cool. He let, me, he let me pet that little baby.
0: Oh. And...
3: My dream come true total and I, I was sitting on the grass about a foot away with the wide angle lens taking that photo. Wow. That was a total dream come true for me, like to get that close to a baby Jaguar. And Incredible. um the kid that we took, there was two sisters, she had her cell phone and she got a picture of me taking the picture. And it's one of my favorite photos because here's me laying in the grass. So, you know look, guys, this is uh this may sound a little sappy, but look, um, it's a tough the world's getting tougher by the day. A lot of crazy darkness out there. Yeah. But don't give up hope. Um, I still have hope because of my faith. But don't give up hope. Good things can still happen in your life. And, uh, you know, live for those good moments and know that they're not impossible to happen. And, hey, I'm no one special at all, but I some pretty special things get to happen to me. And just know that when you're hanging on out there and the world gets crazy, search for those things that bring you joy. And I'm telling you, good things can still happen. The world is going to hell in a handbasket. You don't have to join them. So anyway, stay inspired and being in wild places and seeing wild things and conserving wild land is a good way to regenerate some of that hope in your life.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, the things that you do at Higher Calling, especially your youth outreach things like that man that that is what is supplying that light for the future that is what is getting kids in touch with the world around them and making them learn to love and respect nature and and appreciate the time that they get out in it because not every kid gets to get out in it
3: no man you know what and they don't and we're having me and my but i'm working on a i'm actually narrating a bigfoot series for a friend of mine it's awesome. called Wild Man Wild Man of the Woods on YouTube. It's 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 like Nat Geo level videography. My friend Paul Fazinski and Seth Guy do that. Cool. And uh Paul is a videographer and he is completing today, actually wrapping up, um like a seven minute mini doc on our last expedition to Colorado with kids. It'll be available at net January one. And dude, Can't let me wait. tell you let me tell you a couple of cool stories. Awesome. Have a girl named Juno. Juno, we met her a few. We met her in January of 2020. She had cancer. She was in Colorado. Somebody recommended her to us, and we were going to go do an expedition with her. But a little thing called COVID happened, and we couldn't travel. She couldn't travel for sure. Well, she kind of fell through the cracks because of COVID and travel. And then her mom reached out and said she was having a few problems, and uh, we went out and did last year we went out and gave her a sloth encounter at the Denver Zoo, and aquarium, Denver Aquarium. Cool. And it was was incredible. Well, I went back this year. Juno is cancer-free. And I got to walk her out on a trail to photograph mule deer. And um, we went back again, and she met us in uh, September or October. And uh, we took her around her house at a park and taught her how to use a camera to photograph wildlife and did prairie dog photography there but that kid gets cancer free. Now that brings me hope. And we met a little boy named Alex who has more health issues. than I can talk about on the program and beautiful, awesome little, little guy and, uh, the elk were in full rut. And on the video, you'll see him out there bugling at the elk. One of them bugled back at him. And, uh, I got to take him to a spot where normally there's a bunch of uh, chipmunks and ground squirrels where they were all gone, but a few chipmunks, but Lord provided for me a flock of Merriam's turkeys walked up to us, and uh, he got to you know sit there and look at the turkeys five yards away and photograph a moose with us. So it's all about trying to give hope to kids. So if you know of a child, that's facing a special challenge that loves wildlife, yeah, that's right right here. This is Rihanna Holloway. That's that's Emily Odom right there. Um uh, we'll go she got turkey to go! Yeah, so Rihanna uh, the first girl you saw at the bighorn is grad is just graduated last weekend. Uh, after that trip, she became a Texas tech wildlife student and graduated with a degree and she got to go on that with us. And, uh, re- and, and you'll see the girl releasing the turkeys, Done a lot of stuff with us. And we're proud to have partners like the Texas parks and wildlife helped us a lot. National Wild Turkey Federation, Beautiful. wild sheep foundation, Houston safari club foundation have all helped us in various ways. And, uh, pretty excited about the work we're doing. For, so if you know of a kid that loves wildlife and um, and they, they're they having a, a dark time, it could be they're in foster maybe or a critical illness or they're dealing with depression and bullying and whatever, yeah. message me. And if you're going to get a hold of me, get a hold of Chris. He'll, he'll reach out to me. Yep. We would love to do something special for your kids with
0: wildlife. Absolutely, man. Uh, and And speaking of which, you are actually going to be at – Falk Monster Festival coming up and and there will yeah, be a a giveaway for a special kid. Yeah. Falk.
3: Yeah, so Craig woolheater our mutual friend has been so kind to support our program and, and his Texas Bigfoot conference as well as the Falk Monster Festival. We're either bringing kids in if we can make it to come to the event and they get Bigfoot centric gifts. Yeah. Uh Or we're using that event to raise gifts for other kids. And matter of fact, tomorrow I'm patching up, packing up some gifts. My good friend Sean Whitley, who did the epic, I'm in it. I'm a little biased. A Southern Fried Bigfoot documentary. Oh yeah. Sent, sent me a bunch of Bigfoot gifts. We're going to send kids out. And uh, Thought Monster Festival. We're probably going to be bringing some kids to that one. Cool. And I'm going to be speaking there. And got a cool announcement. Uh, I wrote a book called Bigfoot South. 20 years ago next year. And Bigfoot South is going to be re-released for the very first time with about 50% more pages, information, photos, special edition. It's going to be available at the Falcon Monster Festival. And um, I'm going to be talking about something unique there. I'm going to be talking about feral apes and feral monkeys in the American South and how it ties into this phenomenon. And I'm, I'm I'm neck deep in research on that, and I've got some crazy stuff to share. So that's just a little teaser. You want to come out to the wait. Falcon Monster Festival? First off, it's in Falk, and people will be probably Lyle or someone to be there as well, talking about the Falcon Monster and his yeah. masterful books he did on that. And and different people will come to this event, and it's a special place. You can go to the Monster Mart and uh, check out the little mini museum. But I'll be there. We'll be having probably some kids there with us, and uh, we'll have – and you can go, by the way. You're the first person to get this scoop. I've sent a few friends links. Nobody publicly has this yet. Go to BigFootSouth.com, and BigFootSouth.com has a few blogs up already, but this will be the presence of the new book and anything – Awesome. Primate cryptozoologist type it. stuff that'll end up there. So, that's the original artwork that Randy King did for my book 20 years ago. And I didn't have, so I actually was able to scan that. And that's the original artwork. And um, so, a lot of cool stuff going on. And uh, there's actually a Sasquatch Sanctuary magazine that will come with this that we're going to do three times a year. Too and cool. um, a lot of stuff going on, man. I'm excited about 2024.
0: Heck yeah, man. Well, congratulations on all of that, as always, my friend. I mean, appreciate you, it, buddy. you are out there. You are doing things like crazy all the time. It's great to see you moving and shaking. I'm glad to see you rebooting the YouTube channel and using that for the powers of good. Uh, yeah, I man, I, so. I
3: appreciate that. You know, it's going to be great to actually be able to hopefully derive some income and get streams enough to help the family because it's tough to make a living doing this, but it is. We're going to have a whole separate playlist just on the work we do with kids. Love and it. the entire goal of that playlist is to find more kids because someone will watch that stuff. Yeah. We haven't put that one up yet. That goes with the documentary coming up. And we're going to say, hey, you got a kid that's dealing with this kind of stuff? We can help. And um, and then if you like cryptozoology, you're going to love this channel. If you like just wildlife and fishing, it, basically it's, I even have my old band stuff on there. Like Epic. My band Freak 13. And I've got my band Drak and stuff on there. So it's basically everything Chester is interested in is on that particular channel. So you never know. There may be a, a scathing review of Disney Star Wars on there at some point. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Hold the line real quick while we close things out, man. It is always, yeah, always great to talk with you. I love our you, conversations buddy. on and off air. and I treasure them, buddy. I am just a huge, huge fan of all your work. So Thank you, uh, buddy.
3: I love, I love what you do, and thank you for thank you. Uh, always stirring up interesting conversations with everyone.
0: That's what it's all about, man. Uh, yeah. Hold the line real quick while we close things out. While you are online checking out. The YouTube channel of Chester Moore uh, as well as ChesterMoore.com and HigherCallingWildlife.net or HigherCalling.net for Higher Calling Wildlife. Make sure to stop on by Curious Realm. CuriousRealm.com is where you can like, follow, subscribe. Uh Chester, make sure to share things to the Curious Realm group. My group is yours. Stop on by and join the Curious Realm group on Facebook, everybody. It is an open group. We have great conversations there about things that are moving humanity. Uh, thank you so much, as always, for tuning in, everybody. The conversation is what moves humanity, and open hearts, open minds are how we have the conversation, your open hearts, open minds are what matter out there, everybody. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. And remember, stay curious. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning into this episode of The Curious Realm. Stay tuned for more guests, forbidden topics, and hidden truths. Download the official Curious Realm app and view the Knowledge Vault on our website, curiousrealm.com. Follow us on social media by searching Curious Realm. Curious Realm is available on your favorite podcast services, as well as YouTube, Roku, Amazon Fire, and Apple TV through the APR TV app, available on all app markets. Curious Realm is a proud member of the HC Universal Network family of podcasts. For more great content, or to become a sponsor of Curious Realm or other podcasts, visit hcuniversalnetwork.com today. Thanks for listening, stay curious, and remember, the other side is always watching.